0: Okay, guys, so we're here on the physio and fitness podcast, I've got two special guests today. Glenn, you've heard about a million times because he's been on about five of these already. Um, and then we've got Joe Kelly, who's going to be our, our very special guest today um, to talk about running and talk about fitness. And yeah, excited. He's got his own studio and his own gym. Um, so very excited to talk to him about lots of different things, particularly his running, which is a little bit unconventional. Um or was unconventional, now it may have changed a bit, so we'll, we'll talk about all those things. But perhaps, Joe, if you can just give the listeners a bit of a, a kind of background to yourself and how you got into the industry and just a bit about you, and then we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, evening, guys. Both okay?
0: Yeah, good, mate. Good,
1: good to see good, you. Yeah. Good, Good. yeah. So um, probably about eight years ago, I got into the health and fitness industry, um, sort of went to a sports college, and I was chasing that professional fo- football contract for probably from age of 16 up until probably... You know, 20, you know, thought it was going to be that Premier League footballer like a lot of UK kids do. And um, yeah, it wasn't good enough, didn't make the cut. So, you know, sort of lost interest in that. Played quite a lot of um, academy football, Watford, Wickham. um, Then after that, got released from Wickham when I was about 16. So then it was a case to go to non league football. And then I played pretty good standard non league football, played like Conference South at the highest um and then I was playing around the non-league for Ryman Premier then I dropped down a few leagues kept getting injured and um that was more frustrating I couldn't do anything so it was like what next I thought right let's let's try and get into fitness and just just see where it takes me and then um got about a year diploma in sports massage personal training and fitness instructor course at college done that and then um really from from there you know got qualified and then I was more interested in partying and going out and like you know, funding my next holiday. You know, I was early 20s, you know, single. Um, you know, probably living living a millionaire lifestyle for a 20 year old, to be fair. Now it's catching up with me. He's <laughs> catching up now. Um, and then yeah, so I've sort of done that for like sort of like worked at a gym for about six months. Um, didn't really like the philosophy of the gym. You know, restricted hours when you could do your personal training on the floor. You know, you had to charge what the gym wants to charge. You had to follow their like philosophy, their programming. Um, I've done that for about six months. Then I started um, freelance personal training myself. Um, Then lucky enough, my dad is a builder, so he actually built a a studio at the back of the garden. Um, So I've probably done that for about two years. Uh, It was rent free, you know, living at home with the parents. You know, the commute was about two minutes from my bedroom to the to the gym. It was it was brilliant. And then um and then with that fit at the fitness industry at the time wasn't it was it was evolving from you know like the lbt the les mills and it was more push pushing towards the crossfit you know and i think crossfit uh, everyone's got to be thankful to crossfit because they changed the fitness industry massively um now it's more open-minded than ever and that's all down to crossfit really um and then i opened up my first studio in 2016 uh which is my first box yeah again we, we didn't really know what our niche was we were trying to find our feet you know the brand was called jjk personal trainer at the time um because we we're more a personal training company um then it went down the route of becoming personal training because um, i employed a few personal trainers to work for me then we are doing a few classes and stuff with spin bikes We're doing boxing classes you know circuit training like your very traditional classes that uh, at that time that were, were quite popular and then really it was only probably last year um 2020 when obviously covid hit the pandemic and then it was a perfect opportunity to me to do the building work I wanted to do and, and make this a really good world-class training facility. And our program was just getting better and better. Um, I probably spent about 18 months traveling around the world, just going to different places, different gyms, uh, just, you know, nicking a few different ideas from different places. I went to all the best gyms in London, studied them, uh, worked with the best coaches up there. And then I took that model really from all the traveling experience I've got into Kings And then I sort of, sort of built the own, the own brand from that really. And now it's, um, even even now it's thriving I know the gym's shut now but um, we're at our highest membership ever you know members are engaged people are still doing the personal training in the parks of us so yeah it's been a bit of a journey but um, we're still going.
0: Yeah so, so just, before, um, just before we I know we we're going to chat about your running but um, I think it's always quite an interesting um, chat with trainers that actually open their own facility because I think for a lot of trainers out there or trainers who maybe are listening to podcasts, that's kind of a dream. Like a lot of people's dream is to have their own studio, to have their own space. Um, how like how scary was that going from you know, was it scary or did you did you kind of know because you'd already obviously had your stuff at home where you'd you know, you've been doing that for a couple of years. You'd probably, well, you obviously had built up a really good following. So, did you go into that studio knowing that you'd like, you know, you have set for the bills and, the, you know, or was it quite scary or how, you know, how was was that process of going from, you know, like you said, no overheads to suddenly you've got overheads every month?
1: Yeah. So, at first, it was, you know, like I said, probably two years working at home. It was more building up a, a one to one person training, um you know, like a, a clientele that way. And then we were doing a few different classes. But I think with, with myself, I'm a very addictive personality. So at the time, I was big into my gambling. And, um, you know, I was a bit of a risk taker. I'd always take risks, you know. And I wouldn't look at the, the flip side of it. I'd always just gamble, gamble, gamble. So for me at the time, I, th- I think it was just a case of I didn't really look at the overheads, didn't look at the expenses, didn't look at the business costs. I was like, right, yeah, it's an opportunity. I'm just going to take the risk and do it. Um, so I feel like that addictive personality just kicked in there. Um, but... Thankfully, the
2: last two years, I've actually stopped gambling. I haven't gambled once in two years. I have to stop that. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting oh, so. um when I first met you, Joe, um, was when you was just about to get your first f- facility, wasn't it? So yeah. um, it was, it was, it's been quite interesting Like, because I've treated you for various in- injuries over the years here and there, nothing too major. But um, like when I started my business and Joe was one of my first clients at Hemel Physio in the first six months and then – our businesses have kind of grown along a similar sort of time. Obviously Joe's it's got two facilities now. And, and funny, you mentioned the gambling. So I remember at the time when you was telling me your plans, like Joe was very much an entrepreneur, I'd say, like you can pick that up within, you know, 10 minutes of talking to him. And he said, Oh, I've, I've got this facility and I was totally confident. And then the next, I think I treated you a few months later and you was going to get, you was getting a second facility. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember thinking, wow, that's like, that's a gamble, you know, but it's, yeah. it's, it's clearly paid off because, um, Yes, and you've built on it even more, haven't you? Over over lockdown, so yeah, a first-class facility in the middle of, in the middle of Hertfordshire, you know, just up the road from the clinic. So it's it's great to have, such a facility close to to the clinic, and and you really don't see anything like that outside of London or you know like no. you know, some of the bigger cities. So yeah, it's been interesting to watch because I've watched that from, the sidelines as well, and we've met up for coffees here and there, and yeah. we're doing things together. But yeah, I'd say. You're, uh, you're, I'd say, more of an entrepreneur than a gambler, but you take you definitely take risks, but it's obviously the risk-taking that's paid off as well, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think with the facility as well, I think like when we opened the first one in uh, 2016 in April, it was three months later we opened the second um, box. That was next door to it. It was just a larger facility. But it was really, it was crazy. for Probably for about three years, we sort of, wouldn't say milked it, but we managed to get away with absolute murder. Like we had... We only have one bit of CV equipment each. So we've now got like four of each. We've got, like, we've got four bike curves, four curved treadmills, uh, four rowers, uh, four assault bikes, skis, four skis. So we've got about in total about 36 bits of cardio equipment now. But that that investment was only really in December last year. So it's only about a year ago that we've done that investment. And, you know, we, we only had probably like one set of dumbbells at each weight and we had a few medicine balls. But. You know, we had classes that were like 30, 40 people in a class and the programming was so difficult then. Like, imagine that you've you've got minimal kit, you've got like 30, 40 people at a class, you know, you, you haven't even got two sets of dumbbells at the right way. You've only got one bit of cardio, you know, and the program was so difficult. And the programming now is a lot easier because we've got the facilities, we've got the equipment, we've got the space. So, yeah, it was definitely worth the risk, 100%.
0: Where did you where did you go down to in London, Joe? You said you you, so you went to a few gyms. Did you go where 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 did you go in London to have a look round? So I went to
1: so I went to Manor. Have you heard of Manor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to Third Space, the Canary Wharf one. Um, I think they've got a great facility, the yard up there in um, the Canary Wharf one. That's a really good facility. Um,
0: yeah, I worked I worked in the uh, Marlebone Third Space for about three and a bit years um so i was uh yeah i was there basically when third space originally was just a soho gym that was the kind of flagship gym yeah, and, uh, yeah. and then the second gym they opened was marlebone and i was I, I was actually one of the i was doing training and um physio from there from like day one in fact like the first basically we went in there as a completely new trainers and we were doing like we were helping out with the building work for like the final week like getting it all ready yeah, and yeah. stuff it was absolutely crazy um, but that's, I think that, yeah, third space is a quality, quality, um, gym. And I think uh, that's a good, I think that's a like quality thing to do is go down, see what the facilities got to offer. Like you said, I think it's nicking all those bits of programming, nicking bits of all oh, that equipment would be good. That would be good, like long-term. And I think it's taking all those things, isn't it? Like that, that you think are good and then mixing it together into your own philosophy. Like you said, you, you know, you didn't want to go with other people's philosophy. It's kind of creating your own stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly that. But I think the third space, if they got a really good setup, But I think London's a bit of an eye-opener, really, because if you can bring that London experience to, like, a little county, like, well, not a little, Hertfordshire is quite big, I suppose, but, you know, if you can bring that sort of, like, atmosphere and, you know, dynamic sort of, like, London theme, to, like, when we come here, like, we blast the music really loud, but, you know, we bring the music down when we need to brief the clients, and then all the all the workouts are on the monitors and the screens, you've got the my zones going, the music's really loud, but then, the coaching level is really high still. So it's not a case of like, we're just playing really loud music and they're cracking on It's a case of, right, we'll brief them, we'll warm them up, we'll do the mobility, we'll go through the main workout. But in between that, we're, we're blasting the tunes. The atmosphere is really good. Um, and that's what probably makes our place very different to, I'd say, a lot of other boxes or CrossFit places because, you know, some of these places are great. They've got like really good equipment. Their programming's like second to none. The coaching's like five star, but it's just a little bit flat, you know, and, Nothing better. Well, you've got to find your drive for your workouts, but I find the music when I run, for me personally, use it to my get up and go. So I thought if I can bring that into like a gym environment, um, not everyone likes it. You know, you've got the 60-year-olds like, Joe, turn it down. I'm like, this one's <laughs> a banger. You've got to listen to this one.
0: But I think, that, like you said, the, the, the fact that you were saying before that, you know, it's obviously it was hard to program before because you didn't have a lot of equipment, but you st- yet you still had 30, 40 people in the class. Straight away, my head and my brain was going, going, Well, there's obviously something that they're, they're there for a reason. You know, they're not there. They're not there for the equipment, obviously, because you didn't have a lot of equipment. So, you we only you had know, a portal
1: it... as well, Chris. We had no <laughs> toilet facility, I swear. And um, <laughs> honestly, our, our facilities were a shambles looking back at it. And it was, you know, we had a portal, it was like it was cold. There was no heating. It was dirty. Like, we have cleaners every day now. We're deep cleaning. Like, every day we've got a company that come in before, you know, like I probably clean it once a week. This was obviously pre, pre-COVID before, um, sure. you know, cleaning was... <laughs> whether, a, it,
2: whether it needed it or not.
1: Yeah, it was just one of the, <laughs> gyms, gyms were a dirty place before, and I feel, I feel like obviously you can take something out of the pandemic and COVID, that gyms will be a cleaner place, like moving forward for the future, which is obviously a good thing.
2: One thing I have observed um that I think's unique to your place around here, Joe, as well, is the community, you know? So, like, it's, it's a real community feel. Um Everyone... You, you're all on whatsapp groups together aren't you and like uh, you, facebook groups facebook yeah. Groups. so um anyone that comes in is is a is a, a jjk community member you know like it's it's not just a gym that you turn up to and and do your workout they they're all like they're socially it's a social experience they they buy into you you're inspiring them with all your charity events and stuff yeah so, you know it's a that that i think is um has been the case since the beginning so yeah. that's a big reason why people are turning up when maybe your facility's not, not as, as five star as it is now, you know? So yeah. Um, and that's but- remained throughout. You've you've done it up, you've you've upgraded it, but the community's stronger than ever, right? So
0: yeah. Um, and I think that that's a good lesson for trainers who, who might be listening. You don't need the you don't need high class equipment. You can still get people really good results and want people wanting to come to your sessions and your classes through that through community through the personal touch you know the person people often say about the personal training the most important word is the first one because people want a personal experience they want to know yeah. that you care about them and they want to know they're they're part of something and you don't need to have the big you know all the stuff that you've because people will look at your facility now probably and go oh well yeah joe's doing well because he's got this he's got all these kit and he's got all this amazing kit and the studio looks amazing blah 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 but you only have to, you have to look at, you listen to your story and go, well, actually, no, you didn't have that originally, but people were loving what they were doing because of that community. And yeah. then you get the people, then you get the numbers and then you got the money to spend on, on the more, you know, the better kit. So, you know, I think for people out there, you don't need to have the, all the bells and whistles to get going and train people and train people well. And, no, and Glen was Glenn was saying there Joe about the the charity stuff, which probably segues quite nicely into the uh into the running stuff you were doing because he tells me that you've you've um been raising quite a lot of uh, money awesomely for um for charity with some runs. Tell us about that
1: yeah so the, the charity work started uh march twenty twenty so just before um nineteen hit so we'd done our first charity event at the gym the reason we put it put it on it was a case of um probably had about 15 people from the gym that were doing the London marathon in which was, which was scheduled for April the 26th in last year um and then the event got cancelled because of the COVID thing and we managed just I think it was probably two weeks before COVID-19 hit that we we done this charity event at the gym and it was just a bit a little bit of an eye-opener how strong the community was because we had one we had one charity event I think we put the event together probably like six weeks prior to it, it wasn't that much organization really and it was a case of we're trying to raise money and awareness for three different charities and um, we've done like a, a tri-marathon so we've done um, a marathon on the ski machine a marathon on the treadmill and a marathon on the bike erg um, and it was three of us it was um, myself one of my coaches Ollie and then one of the members James had done it on the day and you know it was a 10-hour workout and what what we did is it was only us three that were participating but uh, we were running WOD workouts every hour in the hour at the gym and there was a dj here and we had a barbecue going and you know it was really good atmosphere and you know we raised about pounds on pound on that one event wow. uh that was crazy really just to do that in, and i think it was for me then that's when we set up um jjk giving back and it was like right you know it's a good opportunity to give back uh, to the to the charities and you know don't make any profit from it you know bring people together through the power of fitness and and show how strong our community is um so we'd done that one in march that was an eye that was our first one and then um everyone stopped training for london marathon because he got cancelled because of covid but i was probably about 12 weeks into it and i was running strong but i was following following no programming whatsoever i was just going off my own back and you know, there was march time i was i was heavy i was 90 i run the marathon on at 92 kilos i was at the time oh. uh, so and that was on april the 25th and it was a case of, I knew that I needed the community. If I wanted to get sub three hours, I knew I, I, know I had to put a virtual event on to get that. I knew that if I'd have gone out on, a, on that day and just run 26 miles, I wouldn't have done sub three. So, you know, in a way I used the community to help me. And I thought, right, let's put a charity event on because it's, it's a virtual charity event. No one could do nothing. It's lockdown, right? Let's get people running. So what we decided to do, it was, um, it was basically beat the coach. And it was my, my, my time versus the client's time. Um, it was quite a simple thing. It was, it was beginners. So it was teams of 16 people and each person's got to run 2.6K. And then what you do is add up each person's time. So everyone will run 2.6K. And then we add up the total time and then it was that team versus my team. And we had, we had about 10 teams in the day. So we had about 160 people participate. Um, and then I, that's, I run a two hour 57 marathon that day. Pretty much on my own knowledge, my own training, you know, of 92 kilos. Um, you know, every time I run, I was running hard. But that day we raised about three different charities. It was Bob Bath, um, Sense, and then Motor Neuron Disease, which is a close one to JDK because one of our clients got diagnosed of it. Um, David Davis, we'll get on to that. And then we raised about sort of five £5,000 virtually. You know, during a stage where it's very uncertain for everyone, isn't it, with COVID-19, everyone thought they are going to lose their jobs. At first, people thought they were going to die. It was... It was quite scary at first, wasn't it? Um, and that was the first charity event that we done, and that was not yet yeah, again. It, from then, we just pushed it forward into um, the the last one we did in December, which was pretty. That one was pretty crazy. So
0: you you, <laughs> you sort of like gl- pretty much glossed over a two fifty seven marathon there, and just kind of threw it in there, like oh yeah, two fifty seven marathon. But that two fifty seven marathon, I mean, obviously, I don't know if there's lots of people listening to the podcast who are runners, but even if you're not a runner, two fifty seven marathon is is blooming fast basically it's very very good so you had you run a lot before obviously you said it was all of your your own back in terms of your training but obviously you played football so you were doing a lot of running with that but had you run properly in terms of races before or like what was your experience prior to that marathon with running
1: so there's a funny the running goes back probably six years to now so when I, when I stopped playing football, because when you're playing football, that high standard, you, you know, you automatically got good cardiovascular, you got good lungs. So you think, OK, the nearest thing to football was running. So um, I actually done about six, probably about six years ago. Yeah, I done um, the Lisbon Marathon in Portugal and um, I was running yet yeah, again. I was running off my own back and I thought I was OK when I'd done it in three hours, 19 and I, I weighed 70 kilos at the time. So I was light, I was skinny, you know, and at that time I wasn't lifting any weights. So I remember I went to the gym with my friends and they were training at Nuffield and I couldn't even do the bench press, you know, 20 kilo bar. I couldn't even do it. And just because I was running all the time and I was running probably five times a week and I was, you know, I was probably nutrition was all over the place. And then I was training, I was training for another marathon. I wanted to get the sub three hours. Is this a bit of a funny story? This is a crazy one. So I was out on the Wednesday I was on my final run. And I was, my training was insane. I was definitely on for some three hours. And then on the Wednesday, I was on my final run. um, And I was on about sort of 12 mile run and I was in bushy archers. And next thing you know, a, a car mounted the curb and hit me from behind. And basically I'd hit the car, rolled on the bonnet and two cars sped off. And initially obviously I'm on the floor and it was a hit and run. And then two cars sped off, the ambulance turned up and, you know, um, they took me to hospital, and then another guy turned at the hospital, and then he was one of the guys that sped off in the car, and he actually followed the number plate. He got the number plate. He witnessed the whole thing, um, and we went through a lot of tests at the hospital. Nothing was wrong with me. No light like, internal bleeding. No light like, long term damaging. But she, I remember the doctor said to me, "Look, you can't, you can't train. You can't run for the next four weeks." So, I like, said, I've got a marathon Sunday. I'm going for sub three hours. I'm, I'm definitely running. <laughs> Sitting there in bed, like drinking a cup of tea at the hospital. And then I remember on the Thursday, I just couldn't get out of bed at the hospital. I stayed there overnight. And then I literally lost my passion for running. And I actually had a little bit of fear of running on the road. I stopped running completely. Then I moved into like the weight side of things. And then it was that, it was that right, let's do the London Marathon. I wanted to get the sub three hours that I'd always trained for. And then that's when my training started in January 2020 for that.
0: So did you not really between that time when you got knocked over and or run over and um, and that starting that marathon training had you done like obviously you're going to run with some general workouts but you basically just shelved the running it was all then just like kind of wads and weightlifting and things like that or yeah pretty
1: pretty much after that because yeah it was it was a case of like you, you wasn't allowed to run for four to six weeks and then it was more rehabilitation work. And then what, what could I do? I started cycling and then I moved into the weights and then, you know, I, I didn't really run. I would do a few like 4k runs, but I never had the passion to go out and do like the marathon training again. i lost the love for it. And I, when I run now, I always run with the traffic on coming towards me now. And I always try and run on the road because I knew that last time I was running the opposite way traffic. So the car hit me from behind. And now I'm always fear, not fearful, but yeah, I'm more aware of my surroundings now.
0: Mm. So what? So let's talk about the training then. So you obviously, you know, as you said there, you got two fifty seven. So that's an amazing time. So what? So and you were heavier by a considerable amount, like twenty kilos heavier, and of twenty minute faster time. So what? What would you like attribute that success to? Obviously, you had a good base because, like you said, the fact that you even got three nineteen before it shows that you've got that that you know you've got that cardiovascular base. But like, how were you training? Um, I think Glenn was saying to me earlier that the training was, that you were doing before that 257 was a bit different from the conventional wisdom of like, you know, 80% slower and 20% faster. So, what were you, what was your training like? What were you doing? Hi, guys. I just want to take a quick break to uh, let you know about an amazing resource that Glenn has kindly offered to provide to the podcast. So, he runs a running course for physios on how to treat running patients. And he's done a really, really good video on screening of runners, which he uses in his course as part of his running course that he teaches. And he's kindly offered that us to as a free resource for any of the listeners of the podcast. So if you head over, there's a link in the description in the show notes of the podcast. So if you just click on that link, you'll be taken over to a page where you can just pop in your email address and then you get sent over to the, to the video itself, get access to the video um, so that you can have a look at that. I thoroughly recommend going over there. It's a really amazing resource. Um, so yes, thank you very much to Glenn for that. And then let's get back into the podcast.
1: Yeah. looking back on it now it, it was it was reckless but it was so so disciplined and so structured so in, in my mind I knew that um I needed to run at 413 per k or four I think it's 414 or whatever it was um to achieve the sub three hours so every time I'd go out and run I'd only run three times a week because on top of that I was doing all my wad workouts and I was probably lifting probably lifting weights sort of like four times a week um I started a little bit of yoga a little bit of cycling, so I was probably smashing sort of like seven to ten hours um, a week in, in fitness, and I'd, but I'd only run three times a week because I knew that I couldn't run anymore because every time I run it would be max effort, and I'd always make sure that like week one I'd, I'd have to go and run say four k at four thirteen, and then I'd try and get maybe like two or three four ks in week one, and then the minute I couldn't do that four k in four thirty per k, then I have to go back to back to where I started and keep doing it, and then. Say, for example, I'd done, you know, week one at 4k and the second week I go, right, I'm going to go and run 6k at 4.13. So every time I run, I'd make sure that I'm sub 4.13 per k. And each week I just increase the distance by maybe one or 2k. And it, it got that, that discipline that I remember it was probably, it was the weekend before the marathon and I was out and I had to run 30, I was running 35k the weekend before the London marathon. And, um, I remember I come back and I looked to my watch and and I was running at an average speed of four eighteen per k, and in my mind I was you know I was two seconds slower than what I needed to be to get that sub three hour marathon. I had to be at four sixteen, but I only had seven days to recover. And in my mind, I, I lost my head a little bit. I think I remember speaking to you actually. Glenn, do you remember?
2: Yeah, we did yeah. A, a session the day before, didn't we? I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, virtual, I, looking at mobility warm ups and stuff like that, and yeah, dynamic warm ups, but. Yeah, I mean, even then that day, because because even when you run the marathon, your plan on the day you, you don't do a negative split, do you? So you do your first half fast. Um, you you do it sort of different to a lot of marathon runners. Again, so you go out really fast at the start, and then you get through the second half with more mental grit and determination and stuff like that as well, isn't it? So yeah. even even with the marathon day plan, it was it was unusual. So like his his frequency per week, three times a week, that's quite low for sub three hours. Um and every run, hundred percent max effort. You know, you it, was did- a, it was
1: always it was always a hundred percent, and I, it was always my endorphine kick and my mental, my mental release was going for a fast, hard run. And I still say to this day now, there's no better satisfaction. Personally, you know, CrossFit people will say that it's doing something for time or an AMRAP, and cyclists will say it's doing hill climbs. Swimmers will say doing this, but you know, I've tried, I've tried multiple things now. You know, like CrossFit, I've tried cycling, Ironmans, and for me, going out for a hard run. For me, there's no better satisfaction or endorphin kick than a hard run. And on the marathon, day, I remember I, I knew I had to go out fast because I knew I had to try and do 30k at I was trying to aim at about 402 per K, because I knew that I was too heavy to, to run that speed for that long. You know, you know, science, you can't do that. You took 92 kilos to run that quick for that long, you know, at that weight, lifting all the weights I was doing, having DOMS and you know, not recovering. So I went out 30 K as fast as I can. And like I said, it was probably the last sort of like 12 K It was more mental strength that got, it got me
2: through it. So that, yeah, I mean, I I think you've hit the nail. And that's what really kind of puckered my interest there because obviously the running clinic here, we see tons of marathon runners and, and Lenny, I'm sure you've treated a load over the years. And how many times would you say that works out when someone goes hell for leather from the gate, you know, straight off and, and, you know, it's a story I hear over and over again. They turn up on marathon day, they get carried away with the atmosphere, they go off too fast and then they hit a wall yeah. and then they just crash. But Joe smashed the the sub three hour time with that strategy. So then I, uh, I was really intrigued. And every time I saw Joe, then I was questioning him more. And then if you sort of, I mean, everyone trains slightly differently, right? And there's, but that, I think that's the benefit of this podcast is seeing that there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? And and it has to fit your personality and your your um training style Uh, but if you have a template of like the majority of sub three hour marathon runners that i see they're running more frequently they're running less intense on some of those days they're doing negative splits you know they're having um a, a, a different approach to nutrition which i think we should come on to at some point but um joe just sort of was was doing his own programming and and not only like you could say oh well joe's an anomaly he's got like you know genetically good cv base or something but all of his um, clients at his gym now that I'm seeing that are following his approach with running only, you know, running less frequently, they're getting fantastic times as well. So it's working, you know, it's working on a bigger scale um, and there's kind of less is more in a way they're running less frequently, which will in some ways limit your injury risk. Right. But they are training very intensively. So I I think it's a really interesting approach, you know, and and one that's obviously Joe's, Joe's a testament to it in the sense that some free hours are, are you know elite level times aren't they um
0: I think that the the interesting thing for me would be that that it's probably I mean I don't know instinctively I would say that approach for someone who's a real rank beginner probably wouldn't be good but for someone who's got like a, a base level of fitness so like probably again this is just me just thinking out loud but like a lot of the guys who go to your gym, Joe, are probably, you know, they're doing some of the wads. They're doing some of the fitness. They've got like a bit of a base. And if you then put that intensive training on top of that, because they've already got that base of strength and mobility, they probably, they can withstand that intensity. And then because they can withstand that intensity, then they're getting those amazing results. So that makes sense. Whereas if you took someone who's doing a f- couch to 5k, overweight woman, who's maybe 40, 50 years old, and you just smash them straight away into like intense, go as hard as you can. I would imagine a lot of those sorts of people probably wouldn't do very well or wouldn't Yeah, do it's overall. quite
1: interesting actually, Chris, you say it, because I think there was a, there was a stage where, we, where we're at our place, there's all shapes and sizes, there's all different ages. And I was trying to say to them, look, you know, you don't need to go and smash like, you know, sub 20 minute 5Ks, you know. What I was trying to say to them is, right, if, if, if you just choose your goals. So a lot of people, when they run 5K, they're like, right, let's, let's try and get sub 30 minutes. Um, so I was saying, right, to get that time there, you know, you need to be running at six minute per K, for example. So what I try and say to him is, right, before you start anything, if you're happy with 30 minutes of 5k, then what I want you to do is just go out and run 1k for me, uh, warm up accordingly, you know, do your, do your mobility and stuff, get, get your heart rate up and go and run 1k at 6 minutes per k. And then when you've done that, you know, print screen that, send it over to me, I'll have a look at it. And then week two, you know, can you do 1500 metres at that speed? Then each yeah, week yeah. so it's the same sort of programming I was doing, but I was doing it for a marathon distance. But I feel like couch to five K people, beginners, you could you could break this down, you could do it for two Ks, you could do it for three Ks. I think anyone can do it. I think you have to just decide on what your goal time would be and yeah. how long you need yeah. to achieve that.
0: Yeah, and I think that was what when you were saying earlier, that was what was really interesting as well. Because although you, you know, like Glenn was saying, you did you did go out there and you did smash it hard that what you said there right at the start was really interesting to me in the sense that you picked your time that you wanted to do, which was going to be hard. But then you basically you still did do it in a really structured way because you were letting your body tell you when too much was too much by what you said about backing off when you got to a level where you couldn't do it basically so you're almost doing this ramping up so you're ramping up in that but then when your body's telling you to come down a bit you're coming down a bit to then go up again so i think that structure of how you're doing it is is quite important as well i would imagine because again if you just went out there and you ran every run really intensely with no plan again that probably wouldn't be as effective as what you're doing which is yes you're running hard every time but you're running it with a really specific plan in mind of right i'm going to have the intensity high but to start with your volume was quite low because you were doing less you know like if obviously eventually your volume was going to be marathon distance but you were starting at like like you said 4k so you're starting with a really low volume high intensity but yeah. you're just increasing the volume gradually over time, your intensity is actually staying the same. So I think a lot of patients as well that I see, it's when they r- ramp up both those things. So they ramp up volume and intensity at the same time, and that's where they can come unstuck. So again, it's just fascinating here when you talk about it because straight away I'm thinking, okay, well, a lot of this makes sense for these reasons I'm saying, that actually when you think about a clever training program, you can look at it and you can pick apart these things and say, well, that's why it's clever. I think if yeah. you just, like I say, if you've just gone in there and gone, I'm just going to smash it every time. And you were yeah, random. It's not, a, going, to work like it's that, not going to work like that.
1: And it's, um, it's, it's funny. This it's, plan is probably more structured than ever. And what I would do, I would never check my watch ever. The only time I'd ever check it is every one K when my watch would vibrate, I'd have a look at my clock and I'd just go right. One K, for example, my last training was quite easy because I had to run every K at four minute per K. And this is the one in December. So i look at the first K when my watch would vibrate. And if I knew that I was sub four minutes on that one, then I'd just keep counting every four minutes. So i go, right, four, second one's eight minutes for 2K. And then I'd go 3K at 12 minutes. And then I knew that if I was going too quick, then that would be my gauge to obviously decrease my speed. And then if I was going too slow, I knew that that next K I need to pick it up. So every sort of four minutes, that would be my tune to check the watch, and that could work for anyone, you know, people that are running at five or six minute or seven minute per K. Instead of every sort of like 20, 30 seconds, people checking their clocks and they're changing their speed and then their heart rate's going up and down, you know, they just need to try and run 1K at a speed they're comfortable. And then, you know, every 1K just check their speed or, you know, even these NICAPs now, they they can tell you every like 1K, you know, average speed is this. Then you, okay, all right, I'm a little bit too quick. Here. Let me drop the speed off. And the next K you try and split it out. And then, you just keep doing that every k then you know it doesn't make it that boring then before you know it then you look at the clock and you're like well i'm 35k in now so it's, it's a good little mindset thing
2: it's How also much- um it's also um i think y- you're you're talking about the one type of run there but your program has a variety of runs doesn't it so they do like effort sessions as well and you know so it's not just the same kind of run every time um and the big thing for me is that frequency so yeah you are training intensively on every session but you're having a lot of recovery days from running as well so you're only running three times a week so it's it's you know it's it's opening itself up to more recovery days and I think as long as you're sensible with the the goals that you're setting people at the start you know so someone that hasn't run you know you're not going to be anywhere near your pace so it's setting oh, that, exactly. that pace and to a certain extent they self they'll self-regulate the pace as well so with the best will in the world you're not going to get me running at you know four minute k's uh for an extended period of time at all so you could program me that i wouldn't be able to do it so it has to be reasonable to the person in front of you and that's that comes down to the one-to-one um, coaching and talking and watching them train and yeah. what level they're at, doesn't it? You know, and so. I think,
1: I think the four, I think giving someone a four week plan before you start your actual plan, so say, like, you're running a marathon, I'd say, right, you need a beginner would need like 16 to 20 weeks before they start anything. I would just go to them, and say, right, two or three runs a week, the next four weeks, you know, just go and enjoy it, run at your normal speed. Then, once you've got four weeks of data, then you can start looking at how they're running. Then you can say, right, you know, last four weeks, your average speed was this. Now, what we're going to do now, we're going to build a plan for the next 16 weeks and here's your target. Because I think it's difficult to say, like, for you two, if you said, I want to run it at this time, without any date or any recent runs, you can't really forecast what that person's going to do.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> so what, What like, I think, and as Glenn said before as well, like, people might say, well, Joe's just an anomaly, he's just got a good cardio base and he's just like, you know, he can train really hard. But uh, Glenn was obviously saying to me as well before that, Actually, there's loads of the people at your gym are doing really awesome stuff as well. So, what would be like is is there a typical kind of I know it's going to be different for everyone, but is there a typical template for because the other the other thing that people might hear this podcast and they might go, Well, yeah, but Joe was training, you know, three runs a week, four weight sessions a week, a bit of yoga, a bit of this, bit of that. He was doing like a lot of training sessions, a lot of people who've got families and jobs, they might only be able to train three or four times a week, sort of thing. So do what I'm assuming people coming to the gym or come into your studio and stuff are those people. They're the normal people with jobs yeah. and family lives and stuff. So what what would be like a typical program for someone who was like, you know, yeah, I want to kind of do a good run, I want to, you know, do a good five K or a good 10K? What what's the kind of programming you would use um based on that sort of scenario?
1: Yeah. So that that I said that follows up to the first event we did in April last year. There was like I said they only had to run 2.6 K. So, you know, most of them like yeah, even like your beginners, they would just walk it. And the guy David Davis who got diagnosed with motor neuron disease, that's the whole point of us doing this event and trying to raise money and awareness for um motor neuron disease but he actually participated in one in april and you know he had an audit walking stick so he'd done it and i think some people walked it so you know people were doing it more like a, a fun sort of casual sort of lockdown event and then it was the one in december the, the december 2020 that was where we tailored the plan so um on the day yeah, again it was beat the coach round two um so it was it was we'd done different splits this time so it was no 2.6k so the minimum requirement was 5.3k Um, Then you had 10.6K, then you had 21.2K, and then you had the 42K, which is the Mazda. So if you would enter the event, you had four different distances and then each um, programme had um, a different plan suited to it. So say like, Chris, if you signed up for the 5.3K and we sent out a six-week plan for you to follow, and then if Glenn signed up for the 10.6K, then he would get a six-week plan and then the 21K. Uh, The only plan we didn't do was... Uh, there was only two people who done the marathon the day myself and a guy called Simon Harris um, he's just a bit of a weirdo he just goes trail running he's just like he can just run for days he's like he'll just kind on of like a five-hour marathon I'm like how can that be enjoyable he's like yes yeah, good for my mindset I was like I do your thing Simon so he's um yeah he take him out of the exception but yeah so the 5.3 uh, 10.6 and the 21.2k they all had a six-week structured plan to follow and that was three runs a week, that was. So that was very similar to what, you know, my training was, three times a week running, you know, sort of one day on, two days off. And then when they're running, they're running hard. And, um, you know, sometimes they're running. So I've done one at a tempo run, one at race pace, and then one at sort of like interval splits. Um, so three different types of runs a week. So it wasn't just going out running. And on top of that, they were probably doing, it was optional sure if they were doing their WOD workouts, you know, their virtual WOD workouts or the gym was open. But, you know, for a beginner coming in, wanting to do like a 5.3k like a, a six to eight week plan would be fine and we would only really need you know like four sessions a week as a commitment mm-hmm. and then maybe like the 10 k, you might like four or five and then same with the half marathons really
0: so those those three runs you just mentioned there for like people that maybe don't know what what they are or what you're talking about so what 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 would that consist of so each run so you'd have one of those per week um, and what would that be like? So can you give us like maybe an example of like, again, it doesn't have to be, you know, any, any timings, but like what's the sort of specifics of, of those sessions, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, so the split they were doing, it, it, it was tailored to around sort of Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, just because it was replicating what I was doing. But um the first run of the week was like an easy run. So it was more a case of like get the miles in, enjoy it, put the music in and sort of train at the same time as what the race is going to be at so i try to say right if you can train at 10 a.m brilliant because when it comes to race day you know you're in the same routine um the first run of the week was more like an enjoyable sort of easy run uh, get the miles in the second run of the week was quite tough that was your interval training so that was your stop start split um, you know that varied each week in distances depending on what you were doing but um like to give you an idea of like the full marathon plan i remember one day i had to go out and i was doing so I was doing five sets of 5K sprints and each 5K had to be sub 20. So like, this was hard. You know, this was probably one of the toughest workouts I've ever done. Looking back at it now, I, I wouldn't put that in a plan because it was ridiculously hard. Go and run 5K and then have three minute walk and then do that five sets. But I was so disciplined. I think I've done four of them at like sub 20 and the last one at like 21 minutes. But, you know, it, it broke me. But beginners were doing sort of maybe they do sort of two 500 meter runs and then a 2k run or but each week it would change and then as you got closer to race day obviously the distance would increase mm-hmm. and then the final run of the week was i call it race day speed so they on the sunday or the saturday they wake up and nutrition's the same Whatever they do in the morning they get ready they warm up and they, they run at race day speed and then obviously at, you know as the weeks go on the distance increases
0: So that, that, that one was very similar to what you were talking about earlier, where you, you, you know, so you, like you were saying, you picked your time. I knew that for a marathon, I'm going to be doing, I need to be doing four minutes, 15 or whatever it was. And then I'm going to, basically, that is the time I'm going to hit. And I'm just going to gradually increase the distance basically over time. And then the other two were interval. And then the easy, the easy run, would that be like just completely chilled and easy as it, what, what i mean by that is like a more classically slower run like people obviously talk about the 80 percent and like going really slow or would it be like you know just underneath race pace like how how sort of fast was the easy one if that makes sense
1: yeah so the easy runner i didn't want to make it too structured for them because i thought it was, it was quite a big commitment for these guys doing it and we had a we had 150 runners do it on the day uh participate but It was a case of just like, you know, just enjoy that run because obviously I didn't want them to hate running because, you know, people say to me, do I enjoy running? But every time I trained, I was training max effort. It wasn't enjoyable. It was hard. You know, my heart rate was always high. Music was loud. And there was there was no time. You know, people, I think they go out on long, easy runs because it's good for their mindset. They've taken the scenery and, you know, like them sort of runs. It was like, okay, go and enjoy that run. And then on Thursday, we'll do our, our, our splits and intervals. Then on Sunday, I wanted to try and run at race day speed. But the reason they all achieved such great times because they they, would, they were training really hard. And, then, you know, when it comes to race day, they were ready. Their body was ready to run at that speed. So they knew they, they could run at that speed. And a lot of them run faster on the day anyway.
0: I guess the adrenaline and stuff, right? <laughs> like you you're always going to, you know, when you've got that, you know, the crowd and people around you and or whatever... And even if you're doing it virtually, you've got the adrenaline of like, okay, this is it. This is like, uh, I need to be on it. So like, you're going to probably get a good time when you do that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, and that was, I think the virtual event was crazy because um, at the time we were, I think we was in tier three at the time um, where the athletics tracks were open. um, You could still do, you could have sports gatherings. So people, you have spectators at the events. And I think it was only like, maybe on the Thursday, it was the Thursday before, race day on the Saturday that the government announced basically no more spectators um, at sports events so um, your event can still go ahead as long as it's COVID-19 it's safe and everyone's keeping their distance but you know we went through the local councils we had to go through Sport of England to to make this event happen we said look we've got 150 people running on the track you know it's going to be COVID-19 so we have to do a risk assessment Um, and we managed to go ahead do the event on the Saturday which was at um, St Albans track athletics track um, and the event was fine, it, it run well, but it was a case It was really structured, you know, like the 5Ks would start at a certain time, 10Ks would go out a little bit later, then the half marathons, then the full marathons. Um, and I think as, a, as an event, it was good atmosphere. Uh, people were running on the track as well for the, sort of the first time, so it was a bit of excitement. And that, yet again, the reason I had to do it as a virtual charity event, it was a bit selfish, but I knew that if I wanted to beat my time, uh, then it, it had to be done in some sort of atmosphere or crowd or dynamics.
2: And even that, I mean, like your first time, what was that? That was two fifty. 250, two
1: fifty-seven.
2: Two fifty-seven. So most of the the guys I work with, uh, you know, marathon runners that are trying to shave a bit of time off, they'd go for maybe two fifty-five, two fifty-six. But you was aiming for what was your aiming for?
1: Two forty-eight. Yeah,
2: forty-eight. So he's trying to knock like almost ten minutes off of an already like you know. Very elite time.
1: I've, I know. Do you know what I felt? I felt. I felt smug. I felt arrogant. And <laughs> I, I was. I remember my training was just so good. Like you know, running four minute per k. You know, I was. I was out there doing sort of twenty five k easy, thirty k fine. And then it was a case of I knew that I had to do it on the track because I knew that we come out of lockdown and and the roads were really busy. It was December. It was icy. It was cold. And I thought if I if I run on the road, potentially I might not get that sub three hours because. Got traffic. You got dog walkers. You got pedestrians. It's Saturday. You know, just come out of lockdown. It was very busy. So I decided to go on the track, but it was a bit of a schoolboy, really, because I hadn't done much track training. Um, and it was the weekend before the marathon. I remember I run 21 k on the track, and you know I found it. I found it easy. That you know the track was giving me so much more. I was bouncing. I was taking the corners quite quickly. My heart rate was good. Um, and I think the weekend before the marathon, I run up. I run a half marathon one hour 19, and I was running a three hours, uh, three minutes fifty two per K or whatever it was. And I felt really confident going into the marathon. And I thought, yeah, I can do this. Um, so come marathon day, I'm really confident, start running. And I knew I had to go out quick again. So even though I was aiming for that two hour forty eight, in my head I knew I had to sort of be, you know, aiming for about two forty-four um on the day. Then obviously if I was to drop off, then, you know, I've got about four minutes to spare. Um Got about 30K in, I was fine. I looked at my clock at about 32K um, and my average speed was 352 per K. I had 10K left and I was on for a two hour 40 marathon with 10K left. Everything felt good. You know, everyone around me was running. You know, I couldn't believe how fast I was running. And then I took I took the corner and then I felt something in my hamstring and I, I sort of run through it and then sort of cramp started to kick in. Um, so the next thing you know, I'm on the floor, i'm um, dehydrated i lost circulation in my fingers my feet so my feet felt like i had concrete boots on i couldn't move my toes and then i was actually throwing up acid and i remember on my 34th my 35th and my 36k i was pretty much on the floor um you know i'd, I'd given up and i was like i can't do this i can't finish I'd, I'd get up i'd run i'd walk i'd be back on the floor i'd run i'd walk back on the floor and then i sort of give up in my head i said look you know Put this virtual charity event on. I said I'm going to do two you yeah, I can't even finish the event. And David walked past me, the guy who's got the motor neuron disease. And I, I literally looked to my right hand side, and this is a true story. And I see his foot, and his foot was dragging on the floor whilst he had his sticks. And I knew that he'd finished because he was only meant to do 2K and he was carrying on going because he knew that mentally I, I needed him to get me through this. And I sort of turned around and I had to walk the other way. I haven't cried since my granddad died. It was like 15, 16 years ago. And I was in so much pain that I, I knew I couldn't finish the event. I couldn't even run 100 meters without going back on the floor. So I tried a few gels. I tried a bit of sugar. Um, I think I had a shot of espresso. Just tried to get some sugar back in the body, um, some potassium, some carbs. So I started to run a little bit. And I looked at my clock and I was uh, 30, I was 35K, I had 7K left. And I was two hours 30. In my mind, I knew that I could run 7K in 30 minutes. I was like, all right, Let's just try and get sub three out. Just keep chipping away. So I'd run one lap, and then I have to walk a little bit. Now I run two laps, and I keep walking. I'm, I'm in pain. I'm crying. The most suffering I've ever had in my life, and I don't wish it upon anyone. And mentally, I was, I was ruined. I couldn't finish it. So before I knew it, I started getting like four or five laps in, and then there was people trying to run with me, like being very supportive. And I just said to them, look, I, I need to do this on my own, like, because. They were like, oh, look, Joe, you're fine. You know, suffering, you'll get through this. I was like, look, you don't understand the pain I'm going through. Like, it's all good you sitting there doing one lap. With me. Like, I'm suffering here. I'm, I'm dying on track. I need to just concentrate. And then as I started running, I looked at the clock and I was 41 km and it was two hours 53. And I knew that 1200 meters was three laps. And I, in my mind, I was like, right, three laps. I can do three laps and I can beat my two hour 57. I knew if I changed my speed, I can do it. And then I changed my speed. Next thing I'm on the floor, cramping up, hamstrings there. I'm like, you stupid guy. And I managed to just about finish it in uh, two hours, 59, 45. But it was, it was tough.
0: That is sounds absolutely brutal.
1: Honestly, I don't wish it upon anyone, even someone that's done the worst thing to you in your life and you, and you actually despise that person. You know? <laughs> even if they slept with your mum, I probably wouldn't would wish that upon them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what do you think that was like what what because because it sounds like you were going amazingly well was it just like that that hitting the wall or was it like what was it
1: well I think me and Glenna spoke about this quite a lot because I obviously want to find out what it was but when I used to do my running every time I do my my big runs and I I'd, I'd say my race days, i I always done it fasted so I'd always do intermittent fasting you know and people listen to thinking like you're about to run a marathon you know how can you do it fasted but The night before, I'd always carb load and I'd make sure my my hydration levels are high. You know, I'd have electrolytes in the morning. I'd have my black coffee. I'd have my caffeine. And I'd make sure every hour on the hour before the race, I'd I'd be having a shot of espresso. Um, And I was prepped for it. Nothing had changed. I thought, why change your winning formula? You know, my training's been so good. But I think it was also mentally the track, knowing that you had to run 107 laps. But I don't know the science behind it. I I don't know enough about running to comment on whether you're taking the same, the same route, whether it's bad for your knees or your hips or cause you know, you're not changing direction. And if, I suppose you're putting so much pressure on your right hand side. I don't know enough about it. Glenn, you probably might know a bit more about it. Well,
2: well I think, you know, we, we spoke about it for a few weeks and I, uh, cause Joe does do his own programming and it, and you can't argue with the results most of the time. I remember talking to, uh, about the nutrition in particular, um i think fasting is is fine for events up to a certain point but then when you when you're running for three hours you need some i think you need something right and i think that the the key point there when you was describing it is when you started getting the gels in you and you started to get a bit more energy and and move forward from there so and i think like what what we didn't mention as well is because you were um dropping some weight so that you were lighter you were in a bit of a deficit for a while on the run up to it as well. So you got down to yeah. like 80, was it 84?
1: So, yeah. So I was on, I was on, a, I left the diet too late really. So I, it was, I was a, probably on a, a calorie deficit for about four to six weeks. Um,
2: you did get down there, uh, did not you? You got down yeah. to like eight. Well, you were that, lighter than me. I remember you were lighter than me going into the, the yeah, race.
1: I got down to 84, but I think, yeah, that, I think that played in a huge part because I was calorie deficit all the way until race day. Mm-hmm. And I remember the night before I knew that, I knew that I had to be light because if I wanted to get that time, I just knew that I couldn't be heavy because I've, i had that experience in April of being heavy, you know, after 35 K I knew that I would get tired because, you know, we're not designed to run that quick being that heavy. So I thought I need to be lighter. So I got down to 84 kilos. So yeah, I, I was on a, a calorie deficit. I think the fasting was, I definitely won't do that again. Um, I'm going out on April the 25th this year to for beat the coach round three and i'm going for two hours 48 so i'm sort of like 10 weeks from race day now but you know i definitely won't do it at the track um i'm definitely not going to fast I'm, all the things that i think went wrong i'm going to obviously try and change now and then um we'll see in april see what the results are <laughs> I, was just about, I was just
0: about to say like what are you going to do differently but you kind of answered it so yeah, like
2: looking at the looking at the running like i mean it's it's unconventional but it's worked for Joe in the past like and you were on time you were on track for that time with your previous runs you were smashing your your training runs you were running at the marathon pace and you did multiple runs at that pace um i think like as as you're treating as i was treating you because you picked up a couple of niggles close to the day as well which wasn't ideal so he ended up with plantar fascia pain we had to kind of patch that up but then it was the opposite mm. leg where the hamstring played up on the race day so there's a little bit of a link there but for me for me i mean we're getting a we're getting a nutrition um, chap on for the next podcast. I think it'd be really fascinating to delve into that of an expert, but just mm-hmm. as, uh, you know, I'm no expert in nutrition, but it seems like there's a massive change that you could do there really just taking on some gels and some nutrition on the day and, you know, some nutrition throughout the run and not waiting to hit that, that wall. So, and, and getting your weight down a little bit um, further in advance. I uh, uh, yeah. So I think they're the, they're the quick fixes, but I mean, yeah. you, Joe, you're, what do you think? What do you, uh,
1: no, yeah, I completely agree. I feel like the, the nutrition's the, the key thing, um, making sure that I'm lighter before, you know, and just try and maintain the weight. Um, I won't do it fast this time. I'll make sure I get up earlier and have breakfast as normal. Um, and I, I'm going to go for the road this time. I'm not going to go back to the track. So I'm going to do that slightly different. So hopefully, yeah, with them sort of small changes, the training, the training, I'm so disciplined with it anyway. Like I feel like the training was, if you said to me, would I release this programming of my, my style? Would I sell it to people? Would I push it? out? I, I would, because the only time I really failed was on, on, on the race day. You know, that's really the only time. Even in training, I was, I was smashing 32Ks, 33Ks on my own, lonely, you know, on a Sunday. And I was getting, you know, four minutes per k. So everything was really good until, until race day. So But I have t- I've changed my style of training now because I think I needed a bit more experience. I've actually got myself a running coach now. Um, who I've been working with recently and you know he, he's told me you know 80% easy 20% hard and I was sort of t- trying to explain to him like I can't really do that so we're sort of trying <laughs> to think right now 60% easy 40% hard so we, we, we're negotiating at the moment um, but I am going to trust in his process and I, I am I'm am listening to him and you know since I started with the Jamry, you know, we started with three runs a week for Jamry. and um, And then now we're on four runs a week, but the running's going really well. My training's going really well. So yeah, it's just, you know, we'll we'll keep trusting the process. We'll change things. And hopefully you know, I'll get that two hours 48 in April.
0: It's interesting. (laughs) It's such a hard one because, because of your base already, it's so hard to know, even if you do change it now, it's still going to be hard to know is, if say you get a faster time, had you have had you have just kept training the way you were, would you have still got a faster time? Like maybe, like it's hard to know, isn't it? Because because you had such a good base before, and like you're obviously a disciplined guy who basically is going to train hard regardless, especially on those those hard runs, you're going to train hard. So it's hard to know, you know, with that sixty forty, you know, it, but it's fascinating. Like it'd be fascinating to see how you feel about it in terms of how you feel you've gone and like how you feel that training has differed nutritionally wise you mentioned that a few times do you what's your thoughts on nutrition for running is that is there stuff that you specifically would sort of recommend people do or what's your thoughts on it
1: i'm, I'm very lucky really where, where we are on site we've got a kitchen and we've got we've got free chefs working on site daily doing meal preparation so i'm really spoiled when it comes to food so the nutrition for me you know, me that was probably definitely one of the reasons why I failed, but that was probably my own self. That was me probably being selfish in what I was doing. You know, I feel like if I could say to anyone, right, what nutrition will you do? I could put them on a plan I'll say, you know, maybe 50% carbs, thirty percent protein, 20% fats. And you know we could tailor their meals to them and they could follow that protocol. And I wouldn't get them to fast. I think I just made a bad decision in, in lead up to that because I've done it for so long. And it, it was a wide change of winning formula. I always say, you know, before that race, you know, I was fasting, you know, I was doing my my car, I was doing my calorie deficit. So I think moving forward, the nutrition, like making the small changes and having the kitchen on site is, um, yeah, it's, it's an endless opportunity for myself and all the members here, really. Yeah, because I
2: I had that review with, uh, I saw Gemma in the week as well, and she's the running coach here. And, and she just mentioned an arbitrary number, you know, like 40 grams of, carbs per hour uh, you can take it in a gel form and something like that so um, me and joe have spoke about that and something so easy is that it's not that difficult to put in i mean i, I will say joe we've spoke about fasting haven't we because i i do intermittent fasting and when you're in that when you're in that habit it, it is difficult to run after you've eaten or train after you've eaten if you've been far like practicing intermittent fasting for a period of time yeah, um, I totally get where you're coming from there as well like it's your body's not used to it is it you're used to training fasted and your body gets yeah. so it takes a period of time to 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 change that change potential. that yeah but yeah I mean you do fasting as well Lenny don't you
0: yeah yeah I, yeah, I, I really I, I've kind of I've me- messed around with nutrition and I've messed around with like Intermittent fasting. I've done it for periods of time quite a lot. And I actually, I actually really enjoy training fasted. I think it, like weights and stuff as well. Like I actually mm-hmm. feel really quite good training fasted. And I don't like training personally. uh If I've eaten anything within, I don't know, an hour or even an hour and a half, yeah. like I need, I need to have eaten probably two to three hours before I train yeah. for me not to feel like crap and feel sick, basically. Like I don't know what it is, but I just feel you know, I just don't like that eating really quickly, you know, or eating soon and then training basically. And Um, I think the
2: more you fast, the more that happens, right? Like the, the more you, the longer you're fasting for, the more of effect you notice if you do have a breakfast and, and try and train like that, which is, again interesting but there must be a there must be a tipping point right so like if you're going to go for a one hour run one hour 30 run you might be able to get away with it but i think as soon as you start getting past an hour and a half you know um, again we'll, we'll talk to the nutritionist about it in detail but there's going to be a time where you're depleting all of those energy Your body, yeah hundred yeah.
1: percent. i feel like yeah for anything sort of sub 90 minutes i feel like you can do it faster and you can probably do it more effective to an extent fasting you know because you know, you're a little bit lighter, you're a little bit more mobile, you're not sluggish, you know. And the fasting if you've been doing it for so long, your body's got used to it now. You're curving your appetite, you know, shrinking your stomach muscles and the metabolism is quite high. So your body's designed for that workout. But I think you said there, Glenn, I think it's more endurance you go, then, you know, the more that your body is going to be taken out. So you need to put that stuff back in. I feel that if you're not, you're not putting nothing back in there, you know, I wasn't even drinking water. You know, I wasn't really, like you know, I mean, I was starting the race, I wouldn't even have any water, so I think it was a case of like. So when I when I had the cramp and the dehydration, when I started taking the gels, when I was on the floor and I had the shot of caffeine, and then you know I had a little bit of carbohydrate. So then yeah, that put that back in my body to allow me to finish it. So yeah, I think having the nutrition would be very interesting.
0: Um. So the, the I think the final thing I wanted to just chat about, uh, Joe, was um was more around just general training as well, because obviously we talked a lot about the running. Um, and we'll obviously mention the your ch- um like the charity stuff and things at the end as well. So we'll put links to all those things because obviously I think it's awesome what you've done for the MND and the fact that you had a member with with that is obviously you know a big co- you know, a cause that we want to support. So we'll put all links to those with the show yeah. notes as well. Cool. But in terms of just general training-wise, like obviously you're doing the running, but you're doing WADS on top of that, and you're doing that sort of strength stuff as well. So what's your what are your thoughts on programming around that in terms of um because because one of the things I've always thought about CrossFit is that um I've, I've I really like CrossFit like you said, I think they've done a lot for the industry and I think they've done a lot for just you know getting people more involved with lifting weights and and particularly particularly for women actually it's been a big yeah. thing to kind of make it more acceptable for women to lift weights, which I think is amazing definitely yeah but a lot of their programming is kind of like a lot of total body stuff. So they're doing like five, six, seven sessions a week, all total body. And I've always wondered about how that, you know, recovery really, in terms of, you know, your classic in the past, you're lifting, you know, you're trying to lift maybe two uh, two sessions per week per body bar is kind of the old adage of what you should be doing. So you've got enough rest and recovery. Whereas if you hit total body all the time, then does recovery, you know, does it, you know, does recovery, do you struggle to recover? I guess is the question. So, how? How? What are your thoughts on programming, and what are your thoughts on general like conditioning alongside the running in order to like stay recovered? If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So ours is like I so our programming here at JDK Fitness is very, very crossfitty, like in sort of like your total body workouts. But we we break it down to sort of three split sessions a week. So you have like a, a cardio conditioning workout, which is like your WOD workouts. That's a combination of like all your free weights, your barbells, your dumbbells, your kettlebells, and then a mixture of that with the cardio equipment. So assault bikes, curves, skis, treads. And we're doing sort of two days of conditioning, like high intensity, total body, WOD workouts. So and then on a the Wednesday, Thursday is more of their compound lifting. So this is probably slightly different going back to sort of like the old school generation of like your power lifts, your compound moves. You know? So we'll do sort of week one where you're just doing lower body compound moves. Um, and then week two you go to upper body, and then week three you go lower body, week four upper. So every two weeks you're revisiting that. Um and then in that in that session, there'll only be a sort of two or three compound lifts max, um, with a little bit of accessory work at the start, and then a little bit of a finisher. And then the Friday and the Saturday is more functional fitness. Um, so that's sort of like more like your whole body workouts. Um, we're trying to get them rather than standing still doing movements. Uh, just getting like moving objects, like farmers walk, you know, suitcase carries, bear crawls. Uh, just trying to get them moving from A to B rather than doing static. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, cool. so it's kind of you're you're basically breaking up the the out and out strength work with then the more kind of sort of metabolic conditioning and then and the conditioning type stuff, which I think makes sense. Like, um, you know, you I think it's doing it all in one session that maybe would, to me, wouldn't really, you know, if you are doing strength and metabolic conditioning every session, that to me wouldn't necessarily make sense. But if you're, I, I like that splitting it up so you can still cover all your bases, um, but you're doing it in a way that, you know, you're not sacrificing because you're, because I'd always be worried about sacrificing. You know, if you do a lot of metabolic conditioning stuff, you are going to be weaker in that session. Like you're not going to, you know, you're not be able to lift as much with your compound lifts if you're doing huge amounts of cardio before you do it so i think it's almost makes much more sense to me to you know on those weight lifting days you do that you just literally yeah. focus on that and then you and then yes. on other days you focus on other things
1: yeah that's it and then we do like a, a final workout of the week which is like engine so just working all their different energy systems um and that's just pure cardio so there's no free weights in that one it's all quite one dimensional as well so like you know beginners can go so because they're all using the kit so once they know how to use the kit, you know it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's all one dimensional. Preven, you go straight. Ski, you go long pull up, long pull down. Rowers is about the belt. So that's their final final session of the week. And then obviously building the running and around that, um, you know, you have got to make it realistic. Everyday people, you, know, you ask, you can't be asking six, seven sessions a week. It's not it's not realistic for your everyday people anymore. Um, I think your three three or four is just to say guarantee results, but it's making sure they're doing the right thing, you know. Do, do all of your
2: clients have um, a MyZone, Joe? Do all of your clients have the MyZone so they measure their heart rates and they keep them in certain zones as well and stuff like that, don't they, So
1: Yeah, so we they all, they all pretty much everyone they join, it's like a joining fee. They get a MyZone um, heart rate training. And what we try and say to them is on the Wednesday and the Thursday, leave your MyZone at home because that's your, your strength days. And a lot of them get addicted to, you know, higher percentages and, you know, the high zones and the calories and the meps and if there's a challenge going on they're all trying to smash their bodies but we always say to wednesday thursday don't sometimes we just turn the tvs off so you don't you don't look at the screen you know you're doing compound lifting you know you don't need to look at how many calories you burn what percentage you're at but you know when they're doing the WOD workouts and we might give them incentive so right for this for this uh, block here you know you've got a a three minute block this is max effort you know you should be working 90 to 95 percent then, you know, you might say you've got an eight minute block. So that's a bit more of an endurance block. So you might be working sort of 80 to 85%. And then we do, we actually do block training. So like we'll get them to work in different percentages for depending on what they're doing. So if they're doing something like an endurance set, you know, like it might be sort of 15 minutes. We'll try and just get them to control their heart rate because we know that, you know, an endurance set of 15 minutes doing dumbbells, kettlebells and the kit, you know, you can't go max effort for 15 minutes. You know, you're just going to burn out. So I
2: think it's just to understand, but they understand their heart rate, which is good. If we're trying to educate them as well. Yeah, for you know, yeah, yeah, Pete to none, isn't it? The program in there. and I mean, I, I, am talking from experience now because Joe kindly um, saved me a little bit, dropped me a kettlebell, sent me a few of his workouts. I've been incorporating them into, you know, because it's you're so limited with lockdown as well, aren't you? And yeah. I, um, I, I, I've been absolutely loving it. I've been really enjoying it. Um, I am changing my whole program post lockdown now to include um more of that kind of kettlebell hit training as well and and you know i i, 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 I can
0: testament to the um the we'll send dolphin. them
1: over to you chris as well yeah
0: yeah definitely i was i as i say as i said to you earlier joe i was looking at the some of your instagram stuff and uh yeah the workouts look, look really really good the wad stuff and um and definitely like as i like as i'm getting older i you know training for me like i used you know we were chatting about it before the before we started recording but i used to do more weightlifting stuff and it was all about just getting stronger basically getting bigger getting stronger that's all i wanted to do i've always been a very ectomorphic uh body type so i wanted to just get bigger and stronger that was it um and got my strength levels up to sort of a decent level was comp- competing with glennon which was a which was hilarious at one time <laughs> giving each other hernias and all these sort of things but anyway <laughs> but um but uh, but now I'm at the point where I'm like, I do I do like strength training and I do, I like the idea, I like, not the idea, I like kind of progressing strength. I think that it feels good to do that, but I'm less bothered about the, not the aesthetics because you always want to look good, but in terms of just getting big, like I'm not really fussed about that anymore. The older I get, the more I want to just be like strong and fit as well. And which is why I was saying to you, Joe, I've incorporated more of the running stuff. So, I'm definitely keen to involve a bit more of the wad stuff. Like I was doing the other day, I started doing. Um, have you ever heard of High Rocks, Joe? The competition High Rocks. No. Nah. So High Rocks is basically you should check it out. You'd be really good at it. Basically, it's like um, it's eight eight k separated as one k each each one. So it's one k eight times, and in between all of those eight k, there's a different station. So there's like thousand meters on the erg uh, on ski erg, thousand meters on the rower. Uh, 200 meter uh, lunge walk with 30 kilos on your back. There's wall balls. There's uh, mm. burpee, uh, burpee, broad jumps over a certain distance. Blah blah blah. So it's basically like very much, I would imagine, in your wheelhouse of if you're good yeah. at running, if you're fast at running, which you obviously are, and then if you can do these wads in between quickly with no rest, then you can smash it basically. So
1: what is it? Is it for? T- is it so? It's 8k time. total for time. Yeah.
0: So it's it's basically. Uh, 1K, and then you do. I think it's the and it's it's a specific order, and yeah. they do them all over the world. And there's like a world championship now as well. There's a guy called Hunter McIntyre. I don't know if you've heard of Hunter McIntyre. He's like a so he's like a kind of cross training type dude. He's really you again. You'd really like his stuff. He's an American guy, but he's got Is some real Hunter McIntyre. Um, he's got some uh, really good. Uh, YouTube stuff, and he he uh, he used to have a mullet, and he uh, he loves his beer, beer. But he's an absolute beast. He he's he weighs over two hundred pounds, so he's he's probably pushing hundred kilos mm. uh, weight wise. And he did a marathon the other day in two fifty five, I think it was, or two fifty four. Wow. So he's like, and he's done loads of like Spartan like the Spartan Games and Tough Mudder's. Like he's won quite a few world championships in Spartan elite Games. Athlete, and, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's a proper uh, yeah yeah, but. Again, that trains in a kind of similar way, I would say, in terms of like look, smashes his running, but also does loads of like um Wad stuff. And anyway, he he did this high rocks, he won the world championship this year. Oh, yeah. Um so yeah, so it's basically <clears throat> 8k split up, so it's one K ski erg for a thousand meters, and then straight away you run another K, and then you do Yeah, sounds good, whatever. yeah. Um, loads of different bits and bobs. There's sled sled push with I, I think it's like 85 kilos for like men and then the pro men do like 125 kilos or something and then there's like a rope pull so you pull that as well yeah, on yeah, another yeah. stage so it's all like all the stuff that you would do in your functional gym stuff yeah functional I'll check stuff. It out. yeah it's good and then um, so i was doing workouts like that at home so because i've got like a garage gym so i've basically like converted my garage into a gym so i was doing like a k run into like uh burpees and then another k run into and just going fast for those k so i do Definitely want to do a lot more of that style of training. So I think those wads would be the wads that you're talking about sending over would be really good because for me, I, I yeah, want to want to get into it. And they're uh, only yeah. sort
1: of they will work well for you, if you. So all you need is one kettlebell or one dumbbell. Yeah, uh, you, you can do pretty much like any move with either one of one of the two. Um, but this model what we're using, what I'm sending to Glenn right now, this because the gym's actually closed. We're um we're doing a model at the moment called PT in the Park. So the way it works. We send them out a week's worth of content and um, you book in a 20-minute one-to-one session with a PT. Um, and We've got about four or five parks at the moment running. We've got 10 coaches working and they're pretty much working from 6 a.m. till 8 p.m. So the sessions are running all day and we're doing about 500 sessions a week at the moment. Um, and these guys are all doing these WOD workouts Monday to Friday. Some of them are doing five sessions a week for the Black Card membership and then some of them three sessions a week. And um, the idea behind it is that you arrive 15 minutes early and then you've got to do a buy-in run and then each time you do it the run will be different so you know it might be a 2k buy-in or it might be you know five sets of 400 or you know like different different sorts of splits to buy-in so you do like the, the run on your own and then you do a little bit of warm-up you go straight into a 20-minute PT like high intensity wad workout and that's sort of the plan that Glenn's been following they're all 20-minute workouts um, but they're working quite high intensity, quite high volume. And then when you finish the 20 minutes of the coach then you do an individual buyout, which is a run. So these guys are coming to the park. They're doing sort of about 45, 50 minute sessions. Um, the guys are racking at about 8 800 to 900 calories. The girls are doing about sort of five, 600.
2: Awesome. Yes. Fantastic. It's like for an hour's work, you're covered in sweat. It's, it's brilliant. You know, it's, it's varied. It's changing every 20 minutes. Uh, and that's that's basically what I want to really include post lockdown now as well so like I mean one of the downsides from first lockdown I got into my running um but then when the when the sort of jiu-jitsu started opening up and you could start to do a little bit of training I um I, I that went down a little bit in frequency so then the lockdown came in again and I started running more but it's hard to get motivated to do you know squats lunges body weight yeah. here and there so those have been fantastic and for me i can see it as being so efficient of combining a run and a workout together it's only taking an hour so that yep. can be a conditioning day for me where i've got a bit of a run in i'm doing the, the kettlebell work and then i can do my traditional strength training two days and then i can go back to doing my jiu-jitsu on the other days and i've got a, i've still got two recovery days and i'm 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 a more complete you know my fitness is more complete then rather than you know we're creatures of habit aren't we and i i always end up gravitating back to just heavy weight training and and jujitsu yeah uh, so that's definitely changed for me now so i will be having those those kind of
0: style of workouts uh, after lockdown as well you know
1: that's good brilliant
0: Cool. Well, I'm just conscious of time now because I've kept you guys for a while. So someone um, someone
2: just turned your light off, didn't they? I know, yeah.
0: You know what? No one turned the light off, which is really weird. It's made made me think there's either the either the bulb's gone or I've got a ghost in the room. Who's that behind you? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um so um so any anything. Obviously, as I said, Joe, we'll put all the links for those charities in the show notes. So I think that's a really important cause, and obviously one that's close to your heart. But anything that um, people you want to sort of like tell people to check out in terms of any resources of yours, or website, or anything like that, or like social media or anything of, of that nature.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think with people that are struggling with the lockdown at the moment, we've got we've got a YouTube channel which has got like over 200 pre-recorded workouts on it, and they got. Minimal kit workouts, body weight, kettlebells, dumbbells, and they're all on demand, high definition. So the people that are struggling at home and they want to do them workouts, they can just head over to the YouTube channel. Um, that's free as well. It's free to anyone, open to the public. Um, and then really like with the with the the JDK giving back, it's just following that because we are going to be doing virtual events. Um, like the last one we did in December, we raised over twelve thousand pounds for neuron disease, and that was through one event. Um, we are going to keep pushing forward the events. Like the next one is April the 25th, which is going to be beat the coach round three. So that, yeah, again, that's another virtual event that people can, um, we've got something really exciting with that. We're going, to, we're going to, we're putting a little bit of a twist on it. So just before we finish up, have you heard of the David Goblin challenge, the four and four?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have. Yeah. <laughs> have you guys done that? Not yet. No, I looked at it today though. I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll have a go at that. Yeah. Glennie done that?
2: No, I've I've not done any of his challenges actually. I uh... Yeah
0: so right. yeah I, I, read it, I, I,
2: read I read his book
1: his, <laughs> i read his book <laughs> yeah now his book yeah he yeah, I, got, I got a lot of time for him he's a little bit cheesy a little bit um you know it does get a little bit far-fetched but i feel like he's, he's created a, a strong mindset and he's obviously trying to push that positivity out to you know the public isn't he so but that that challenge i've done that challenge um i've done that in may actually just after the marathon done that, that four four miles every four hours in 48 hours but yeah, again, I was going out for time. Every time I was running, I was trying to beat my PB. So four hours later, I was like, right. So I just got 28 minutes. I'm now going to get 27, but that's not the way to do it. Cause <laughs> I got about two days in, and I was broken. But the next, the next charity that we're doing on the 25th April is going to be, um, it's going to be a realistic event for everyday people. But we're going to run it over 42 hours, um, and every seven hours, you've got to run 7k um, over 42 hours. So in total, it's 42k. And then you can either do it as an individual, um, which is like we'll effectively call like your elite standard, um, or you can do it as a team. So like an intermediate team, you have two people. So, you know, Chris might run at say 7am, at 7k and then Glenn will run at 2pm, 7k. And then Chris will run at 9pm. Um, so you just alternate in runs and then combine total over the, the two days is 21k for Chris, 21k for Glenn, which is a marathon distance. And then the beginners will enter as a team of three. So, you know i'll run at 7 a.m you'll do two and then at nine so and we're going to run that for two days that's going to be something slightly different yeah
2: cool you, awesome. you're going to do that you're going to do that lenny
0: i'm up for it if you oh uh, yeah why not you could yeah, do that a
1: team you two there you go
2: yeah exactly. although I, I am i am expecting a baby come uh tuesday so loads yeah. of time to train man.
1: Wait, <laughs> Ages man <wait.
0: laughs> <laughs> good excuse to get out of the house you know yeah, that's
2: it yeah yeah i'll probably be up at two in the morning anyway so i might as well go for a run
0: get the baby carrier on and take her take her out for a couple of hours um uh, brilliant right well, well no. thank you very much joe for coming on it's been uh yeah it's been fascinating talking about the running stuff i think yeah loads of things that I, i've got milling through my head which i'd be good for to um to uh, think about with my training so yeah thank you very much for coming on well, no,
1: i enjoyed it it's been good
0: so there you have it guys really interesting chat with joe there about running and all things fitness thoroughly enjoyed it and i hope you guys enjoyed it as well um once again i want to refer you over to the youtube channel the physio and fitness uh, youtube channel has got loads of content on there about fitness about physiotherapy and lots of stuff that I'm sure you guys listening to the podcast will enjoy. Um, Hopefully, again, you've enjoyed this one, and I really look forward to chatting to you again soon.